What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with another Data Protection Gumbo episode. And today I have Stacy Hayes, co-founder and EVP of North America at Assured Data Protection. And prior to joining Assured Data Protection in October of 2016, Stacy was Vice President, Channels and Alliances for VirtuStream. Stacy started out with DS3, Data Vaulting, a company he founded to deliver backup as a service in the early 2000s. And as president, he led DS3 through a successful acquisition by Terramark in 2009. Now, Gumbo listeners, Stacy discusses how to build a successful backup and recovery as a service business, details about white label data protection as a service, and why they chose Rubrik as their platform of choice. So sit back, relax, or pour up your favorite beverage while we get right into the episode. Stacy, how are you doing today? Uh, Demetrius, I'm doing really well um, and happy to be on the show with you. How are you? I am amazing and uh, just glad that I have an opportunity to catch up with you here on The Gumbo. So uh, really looking forward to our conversation and just wanted to start things off by talking a little bit about uh, backup and recovery as a service in general and also how Gumbo listeners may be able to reduce some of the risks associated with protecting data in their environments. How does that sound? That sounds great. That's, uh, I know a thing or two about all of that. <laughs> all right. I, I, ho- I sure hope so, you know, just to, uh, to make sure that we, we leave everyone with some uh, large nuggets of information so they can take away and, and maybe better themselves in their, in their IT careers and their environments, right? So, so what, what are you seeing out there right now, uh, I guess, from a backup as a service uh, in general, what are you seeing out there, Stacy? Uh, so, Demetrius, when you ask about you know what are we seeing now, uh, you know now is is really uh, dynamic uh, because of the pandemic, because of the virus. Two things have happened. One, the uh, the threat surface uh, to corporations has expanded greatly because of work from home. Uh, whether it's uh, you know a greater or an accelerated adoption of of Office three sixty five. You know, and not so much just the mail aspects, but uh, but Teams and SharePoint and OneDrive. And the other thing that's happened is that all of those plans uh, have accelerated. And so, uh, where companies, uh, our, our companies, our customers, you know, thought they had a you know a, a, you know a very gradual and programmatic approach to uh, remote workforce, work from home. Uh, SaaS adaption, you name it across the board. Current events today have turned all of that on its edge. Uh, and it's, uh, it's really reprioritized what is going on inside of the IT department. And the other thing that is happen, happening simultaneous to this disruption is that um, economically, we are in a down economy. And I've gone through uh, you know, I started a company in 2000, uh, went through 2001, uh, managed that company through 2008. And in a down economy, your, your CapEx to OpEx uh, attractiveness uh, starts to shift. And so that's happening uh, and, and alongside the uh, the disruption that is just inherent from the pandemic. Okay, yeah, I, I haven't heard of those terms in a while, CapEx and OpEx. Um, 
they are still things. So I guess right along the line of CapEx and, and OpEx operational expenditures and capital expenditures, what, what about consumption models in a backup as a service model? Like, are you seeing some different types of consumption models, I guess, as a result of the pandemic, or are things pretty much the same on that front? In a down economy, OPEX is more attractive because it's pay for use. It's monthly based on actual consumption. In a stronger economy where companies are more comfortable about their outlook and perhaps setting on uh, cash reserves, and there's favorable tax treatment associated with acquiring large, complex, and expensive IT solutions, you see more CapEx. Uh, When there's uncertainty, um, and we have plenty of that now, right? You see you see companies uh, lean, leaning towards a, uh, a operational expense where they're only paying for what they use. And that is our delivery model at Assured. Uh, everything is uh, pay for use. So consumption of the uh, data protection uh, is measured by the gigabyte or the terabyte. And customers pay monthly based on, on the actual utilizations of the platforms that we deploy. Okay, great. So, yeah, I, I do do remember during my days in the support organization of Rubric back in the day, about three years and something ago, the data protection as a service, and I guess you you are a huge, 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 huge partner with Rubric, and I guess you, you take their um, appliance, their cloud data management platform, and you you know, you, you utilize it to your advantage uh, from a backup and recovery perspective to provide services to to clients and customers. Around the term of white label data protection as a service, is there any other providers that, that you're, you're utilizing their equipment and, and kind of packaging it up as a service? Uh, yes, we, we uh, use uh, other providers for to deliver our services. Uh, we partnered with Cloudian to deliver object storage as a service. We partner with Cumulo uh, because uh, it's a very, uh, very reliable uh, and very dependable uh, NFS target that we leverage in the data center for the purposes of, uh, of writing archives uh, and secured archives. We work with another company uh, in, in protection of Office 365 and we're getting ready to roll out some some new products. Um, we're we're bringing detection as a service to the marketplace. Uh, that will be leveraging uh, a, another partner. And so, uh, Demetrius, you hit right on our strategy. We take uh, best of breed technologies that sometimes the, the mid market either lacks the uh, either the expertise to operate. Or the uh, you know the the capital to to acquire, and by turning that into as a service consumption models, we have the ability to deliver both you know a more affordable affordable solution in the mid market as well as one that comes equipped with our expertise. And so those IT shops uh, have the ability to focus on uh, on on key uh, key goals and initiatives, and we take care of things that are mission critical, right? Because you, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to have data protection. Um, you've got to have, you got to, you got to, there's those things that you need that uh, have to be provided for that aren't necessarily mission supportive. You know, right. if you, yeah. if, if you get it wrong, if you lose your data, 
you're not executing your mission because you're you're out of business. But on the other hand, great data protection doesn't make you better at, uh, say, home food delivery. Um, okay. So that you draw the lines along, uh, you draw those lines, and and that's where our value comes through. Okay, I I had no idea that that you had that many uh, varied uh, vendors that that you actually utilize and. Just uh, talking about that detection as a service. That it sounds. It sounds really cool. Um, detection as a service. So may, maybe go into that just a, a little bit more. Is that more around detecting threats, or is that what type of detection is that? It's. Uh, it, it is about detecting threats, and it's a. It's a great question because it's leveraging a very unique position that we have with our customers. Mm -hmm. uh, we like to say that we're inside the data center okay. um, because you know, most threat protection uh, and most, uh, most detection, uh, you know, detection uh, capabilities are, are focused on the perimeter because we have uh, this unique position with our customers where, as you mentioned, we take uh, either uh, rubric physical appliances or take rubric uh, software and run it on our appliances inside of the data center. We are we exist at the application layer, and so our uh, our partnership and and our as a service offering for detection will focus on our ability to uh, live inside at the application layer, uh, specifically uh, looking to detect uh, you know east west uh, movement uh, that that is traditionally associated with, uh, you know, either threats that come from the outside or maybe even from the inside. Okay, great, great. And also, uh, Stacy, I guess as a managed services provider, uh, I, I was uh, perusing on your website and I noticed that, you know, all of your clients have full access to uh, what's called ProtectView. Uh, so what, what is ProtectView and I guess what's the advantage uh, of having it? ProtectView is our proprietary technology. It's what we created to deliver Rubrik as a service. So it, you know, as you mentioned with Rubrik, it's an enterprise technology it, you know, out of the box. It's designed for a single tenant uh, deployment. We operate Rubrik all over the globe. Uh, part of our delivery model is that as a service, we place rubric on customer premise. So it's behind a customer firewall. Each one of our customers gets a daily report, and that daily report memorializes everything that has happened over the last 24 hours. And we tell our customers all the time, you don't, we don't expect you to read that report because we're proactively monitoring uh, your solution. And, and that's kind of the value. That's how we become an extension of our customers' uh, IT department. Uh, and all of that is delivered by this proprietary technology called ProtectView. Um, a little bit earlier, you asked about white label. And white label is integral to our strategy for service delivery and go-to-market. And by that, I mean we deliver through partners. So when we started the company and we were first introduced to Rubrik, uh, Rubrik literally found us because they were looking for someone that could operationalize their technology and could deliver as a service. And uh, when we met Rubrik, we we studied Rubrik, and what we came to understand is that Rubrik is is very channel centric. They they are a hundred percent channel. They do not sell direct. And so 
when we created Assured, what we set out to do was to build a service delivery model that was symbiotic to Rubrik's existing partner go-to-market and partner ecosystem. And, and that is the origins of White Label. White Label means that I can walk into any existing Rubrik partner and effectively just add consumption options to their existing Rubrik go-to-market. CDW is a great example. We are, you know, you know we started working with CDW, you know, shortly after we were formed, 2018. We were, we were um, one of the original partners in CDW Core. Core stands for Co-Sell Resell Program, where, where CDW can take managed services and sell them, uh, but we're still visible, and, uh, and, and, but it goes on CDW Paper, and they get to take top-line revenue. From that program, we were able to step into a managed services relationship with CDW, whereby when you today buy managed backup or disaster recovery from CDW, it's delivered by Assured on the rubric platform behind the scenes. And that is the essence of of white label. And so if you take that and you expand it even further and you say, okay, um, how about, you know, what are other use cases? Well, think about uh, LATAM, uh, South America, where we enable partners there. They, uh, they're taking tier one support uh, and, and they're taking top line revenue, but we're behind the scenes delivering the service. And we give them that crawl, walk, run experience uh, as it relates to launching an MSP. And it works, right? Because they've got, they've got boots on the ground. Uh, they're speaking local language, uh, but we're behind them, giving them ru- a rubric consumption model that is tied directly to exactly what is sold and nothing more. I mean, part of the reasons that MSPs struggle to get off the ground is because the customers never show up as fast as you think they are, and you end up running out of money and interest before the business really launches. White Label allows you to match directly your cost to your revenues coming in and then grow with the customers as they come on board. ProtectView being productized gives those MSPs the ability to graduate. So so you think about a scenario, you know, let's go back to, uh, you know, to a LATAM or a South American um, service provider where they want to get in the business, they want it to be their business, they don't want to have a white label relationship with someone like Assured Forever, and they probably wouldn't move into that business if they didn't see a way out of that business because they've got a long-term plan. Having ProtectView as a product means that when they're ready to graduate, when they're ready to leave white label, invest in their own rubric, they would do this because they have an existing business, because they've graduated from the crawl phase into the walk phase. They can have access to the same management platform, the same MSP enablement platform that they've been using, because now they can license protect you, run them against their own rubrics. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's our own proprietary technology. Uh, it's delivered as SaaS. It has RBAC, uh, role-based authentication, 
so that we can have segmentation. Uh, we see everything globally. Uh, our partners use ProtectView to only manage uh, uh, their customers. And then even beneath their customers, as you pointed out when you asked the question, each one of our customers has a visibility uh, into their day-to-day -day operations using ProtectView, but they can only see their, uh, their individual activities yeah and I, I know rubric makes it makes it easy to to be able to segment and compartmentalize from from a role-based access control perspective and it sounds like protect view is a, a pretty awesome piece of um, software that, that you guys have over there Re really glad to hear about that and uh, it seems like most of the services that are provided through protect view gives you that that global visibility into your environment and also the back end that you guys are proactively monitoring and watching and alerting and you know just ready to step in as soon as as soon as something changes from from green to yellow or red also i guess what what type of services do you have targeted at recovering from from ransomware so let's let's switch over to to the most favorite topic that everyone enjoys having right now and that's ransomware well, I think uh, you know there it's 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 a short answer uh, and a very effective answer, Demetrius. It's uh, Rubrics immutable backup uh, capability. They they have a proprietary file system in there that uh, is an append only file system. So uh, once we've captured uh, that snapshot, uh, it cannot be infected. Uh, there's no way for ransomware to come into. Uh, a rubric instance and, and somehow another corrupt uh, a backup that has already been captured. And so we think that the best way to uh, remediate or to recover from ransomware is to have an immutable backup, even in a situation where you've had a zero day attack and uh, the, the malicious code is still, you know, somehow or another associated or perhaps even a part of uh, the data that has been that has been captured in the backup. There are ways to open up that backup and only extract the data and not uh, and not the uh, the portions of the ransomware that uh, that led to the encryption and the loss of that data. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's Rubrics' uh, ability to deliver an immutable backup that uh, enables us uh, to help customers recover from ransomware. And also, do, do you have any real-life stories around recovering from, from ransomware, excluding names and details? Absolutely. Um, we've had situations where uh, customers, like I said, nobody wants to talk about that. You, never, you don't see many um, case studies uh, from people who, who have uh, recovered from ransomware. Unfortunately, where you usually find that is you know, in, the, in the newspapers where uh, you know you've seen a big uh, you've, you've seen a big a, a big situation where someone's had to pay a ransom or someone's been down for a prolonged period of time because they've suffered a ransomware attack um, and so I think the best uh, I think the best evidence of, of, of strong ransomware defense and recovery capabilities is the fact that you don't hear about it. got it so ransomware let's go ahead and check the box on that um you know i could spend more time on it but um i remember early on in the conversation you you mentioned office 365 and i don't have a lot of conversations around you know office 365 but so you you offer 0365 backup as a service is, is that correct that is correct okay and 
I guess, what, what are some of the trends that you're seeing there and what recommendations would you give the gumbo listeners around protecting their data in 0365? I'll give you three. One, one of the trends is getting the data outside of Microsoft. Microsoft's a big company, you know, and, and I hear this, uh, you know, this described this way uh, frequently. Uh, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're hard. You, know, you don't want to get in a fight with Microsoft because sometimes you don't win. And so having a copy of your data outside of Microsoft is, uh, is valuable. It was a requirement uh, for our customers when, uh, when we, um, you know, built and went out and partnered um, to, uh, to uh, bring in what has become our Office 365 data protection platform. And one of those requirements was we wanted to be able to get our data outside of uh, Microsoft and Azure. And our product does that. It's based in AWS. And so uh, the data is backed up from Azure uh, and into AWS. Uh, second trend, don't pay for storage. There, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously different ways to pay for uh, O365 protection. Um, there, you know, and there always, you know, some kind of a capacity-based model. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, the optimal way to do this is to pay by seat or by user as opposed to storage. There is, uh, there's ample opportunity uh, out there to find vendors that uh, are, are willing to not uh, try and uh, nickel and dime or, or otherwise ding you on, uh, on, on storage cost. Uh, if you've got, you know, everybody's got a pretty large estate with Office 365. And what we've seen is that, uh, you know, if you're going with a mature, uh, mature service provider, they can uh, they can provide you with per seat or per user pricing and uh, and, you know, and avoid any kind of you know, hidden charges that tend to show up around storage use. And then the third thing that, you know, is it a trend or is it just maybe a cautionary tale? I mean, we still see. And I'm sure you, you, you know, this resonates with you and, you know, your history. You know, people think, uh, you know, still a lot of people out there who think, well, I'm in the cloud, so I'm protected. And, you know, there's two different things in the cloud, right? There is redundancy uh, and, and protection against data loss. But um, there's also the, uh, the true aspects of why you do backup, which is version control retention. And then associated with that is accessibility, uh, searchability, uh, your, your e-discovery falls into that as well. And so it's, it's, it, it, it would be, I, you know, I think anybody who just says, oh, well, you're not protected. That's not true because you are protected. Um, and there is protection inherent in, you know, G Suite and Office 365 and 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 all and, and the other products out there, but you've got to take the time to know them, understand them, set them up properly, and and then find a way to monitor them. And if you've got an appetite to do that, great. And you know, again, that's why I say it's a bit you know always subtle shades of gray because you know, are you protected? Yes, just probably not as well as you would like to be. Are there tools inherent to the platform that can enhance that protection? Absolutely. Um, but again, are they optimized to, to, to deliver what you need as a business? And, you know, in some instances they are. Some instances, I mean, I've encountered businesses that just say, look, I, I, just, need, I just need to be able to recover.
it's gone. Um, and 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 I have very I have very short retention schedules. And you know, chances are you might be able to take the tools that are at your disposal, put them together, and achieve your business requirements. But if you have greater requirements, making the simple assumption that well, I'm in the cloud, I'm protected, is uh, is a real problem. And uh, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to be let down. <laughs> yeah, d- definitely. So you you mentioned, I guess, having the appetite to learn and, and grow because you and I know, Stacy, right now, things are changing and accelerating very, very fast with all of these technologies. So you have all this cloud native, you know, applications and platforms with containers and Kubernetes and Docker and throw in automation, right? IT automation and DevOps and DevSecOps and, you know, all of these infrastructure as code. And there's a lot of stuff out there right now. Just kind of on that front, with all of the shifting technologies and things are moving really fast, um, COVID-19 is still a thing. Unfortunately, there has been quite a few layoffs happening, you know, just around the globe and this entire work from home movement that's been happening. What advice would you give to, let's say, backup and storage administrators that are, that are out of work right now? And looking to maybe move into some of these newer technologies out there like, you know, cloud native. Well, again, I think what you're going to get from me is specific to my experience. And, and that is in the world of data protection. Uh, and, and as you point out, you know, customers are, you know, customers are moving to the cloud. We've had cloud hype for a decade. But what we're starting to see now is real meaningful movement uh, of production workloads to the cloud. And it comes in many forms. There is true adoption of SaaS um, going on at, uh, at a significant level. I think those are probably bigger drivers than, you know, say non-native applications going to the public cloud providers. Um, that being said, public cloud adoption is really now reaching into the mainstream. And 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 uh, and that uh, is is only going to uh, it's only going to accelerate with time. And again, back to your very first question of what's going on out there today. Well, today it's you know somebody you know, really shook up the magic eight ball, uh, and and now it's uh, you know those plans have been accelerated. Those plans are changing. Uh, the movement. I think. I think when. I think when we look back on this period of time in the pandemic, I think you're, we're going to see a market increase, a market acceleration in, in in workload migration to the cloud. As it relates to those technologies, I mean, there's no there's no secret here. You know that we've got very close alignment with Rubric. Uh, we're their MSP number one. We've been working with them. You know, really since their origins. And uh, we're, we're happy, uh, we're still very happy with that choice that we've made. Um, they have competitors, you know, and I kind of draw a line in that space between uh, legacy and, uh, and, and, you know, new age. Um, and, and with legacy being, you know, defined as, you know, technologies that were created before the three main drivers, which are, you know, virtualization, scale out architecture, and, and you know, the presence of public cloud. And I, I think, you know, to answer your question, 
I think you know my advice to either you know people who are looking to attach themselves into this momentum, or even you know uh, consumers of this technology inside of the IT department. I think that you've your best bet is to go with with your it's those those new age uh, providers because they just simply have an advantage that that doesn't doesn't have to do with the marketing hype. It's just the reality. Legacy providers have we all know who the legacy providers are prior to people like Rubrik entering into the space. Seventy five percent of that market was controlled by four players. And those four players had technologies that had been assembled over decades via acquisition. And when you have that strategy and you're dealing with a uh, kind of a, that, that seismic change of those three drivers, uh, the cloud virtualization and scale out architecture, what tends to happen with legacy portfolios that have been stitched together to make, you know, products that are relevant relevant today is that those offerings tend to be clunky and expensive. You look at your new age providers who have had the luxury of starting with a clean sheet of paper. They were encumbered by the legacy platforms that represented investments uh, that, that, that organizations had made, you know, 5, 10, 15 years previous that, that, had, to be, that had to be integrated into these offerings. And that's not to say that they're not relevant. It's just that they're in a more difficult position, whereas your, your, your new age providers uh, weren't encumbered with that. They literally had the luxury of starting with a clean sheet of paper. And that has accelerated the uh, innovation that is in that space. And that's going to be a, that'll be a lead that the winners in that in that segment of that market won't relinquish uh, willingly. SaaS is going to be a thing um, that is necessarily, that's not necessarily, you know, some SaaS providers live inside of public clouds, some SaaS providers live outside of clouds. And all of this still is tempered by the fact that there's going to be on-premise workload for a long time to come. I like to say, you know, for the purposes of myself and, and, and my children's children, you know, we're going to be dealing with on-premise workload. We're going to be dealing in a reality where data is residing in a lot of places and customers need a comprehensive um, view as to where that data is, uh, what liabilities are associated with that data, is that data protected, how do they get to it when they need it, um, and those are all things that are not going to change. And so, Again, back to your question of, of advice, whether it's you know for people that are looking to, to stay relevant or whether it's corporations that are trying to figure out their strategies, service providers aren't for everybody. Uh, if you look at if you look at the consumption uh, on a ratio perspective, you know we're 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 a small percentage of 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 what uh, of what those those broader industries. Uh, are are uh, reflecting as a as a method of consumption. Yeah, and you you mentioned I guess the legacy players and also needing you know those skills of uh, I guess on premises infrastructure. So mainframe administrators are like a big thing right now because you know it, it was that entire conversation around 
uh, tape, right? And tape, tape is dead and tape is disappearing, et cetera, and all of that. But tape still has its place just as the mainframe still has its place, right? And uh, th- those skill sets are like in demand right now. I was reading an article uh, not too long ago about the shortage of, of, of uh, mainframe uh, engineers and uh, people who are willing to kind of go deep on that technology because it's still a, a number crunching uh, data crunching machine, right? The mainframe is a beast. Uh, Stacy, let's let's roll into the closing gumbo question here, and it's uh, it's not a technical question, but it is a more of a, a personal question that will kind of get your get your get your brain wheels spinning. So the question is, what would you tell your sixteen year old self if you had an opportunity to travel back in time to secretly change your destiny? One. Work harder in college. Uh, I, I, I don't know how many other people uh, feel this way, but I, I some I sometimes would like to go back and do it all over again. I have kids in college now, and I and I'm envious of uh, of you know what they have access to, uh, and uh, I would definitely tell myself, you know, pay attention, go to class. Um, you know, knowledge is something. I've had to learn a lot after college that uh, that you know that I that I could have learned while I was in college. Um, so I think you know that's number one. Number two, I tell myself uh, not to stick a screwdriver in my eye uh, when I was 18 because I did that, and uh, uh, I've got uh, I've got uh, that that I'll, I'll live with uh, with uh, a vision uh, problem. Uh, you know, amazing doctors. Uh, amazing technology. I, I didn't lose my eye, uh, and I know that you know will probably make our our listeners squirm because I literally just did that. I'm sure that uh, if, if there was anything I could change, I'd really like to have had uh, have both of my have 100% eyesight in both of my eyes right now, which I don't have. And then you know the third thing you know just it would be uh, to invest. You know, there is just a power uh, associated, uh, there's a, the long-term power associated with investing, investing in yourself, uh, investing in your finances, investing in, in your home, um, you know, just uh, in the, the concept of a thoughtful yeah. investment. Um, because as a young person, you're just not thinking about it. You're like, you, you, you want the instant satisfaction you're not thinking about the future and you know, the compounding effects of wise investment mm-hmm. are, are just you know, so important. Uh, and uh, if I could go back and, and do anything again, I would uh, I would have uh, I think I would have had just as much fun uh, and sat a little bit more aside uh, than than obviously what I did. Wow, I definitely learned quite a bit about you there, Stacy. Um, we'll, we'll have to talk offline uh, about some of those things, but just just one add-on. Just as as you were speaking there, I remembered something, and I was looking for you to say it, but maybe you were just um, really figuring out the investment piece of it. But me right now, like the investment in relationships, so just building those relationships, you know, with my wife and the kids and the family. And, you know, time is short. It's limited. It's definitely, you know, one of those things that, you know, you look back on it as you you attend, you know, funerals and 
things of that nature and people um, get a little bit older, you, you really kind of reflect on some of the relationships that you have. So I appreciate you bringing that up. I guess how, how would you like anyone, uh, one of the Gumbo listeners, um, to reach out to you? Is there a way on social media, like maybe Twitter or, or LinkedIn? Absolutely. We're, we're in all of those places. Uh, my Twitter handle's really easy. It's just Stacy Hayes, S-T-A-C-Y-H-A-Y-E-S. Um, we're very active on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there. You can find Assured Data Protection there. Um, so uh, I think those are probably the two best ways to, to, to get a hold of me. Well, all right. I do appreciate you coming on Data Protection Gumbo, Stacy. So um, thanks for coming on the Gumbo, all right? Have a good one. Thank you, Demetrius. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.